You're listening to the North American Francophone Podcast, hosted in English by Claire-Marie Brisson and proudly recorded in Charlottesville, Virginia. Welcome to another episode of the North American Francophone Podcast. I'm your host, Claire-Marie Brisson, and in light of the COVID-19 pandemic that we are currently facing, I thought that I would first extend all of my thoughts and well wishes to my listeners at this time. Here in Virginia, we're preparing for the worst, but realizing that in doing so, we hopefully will come out with the best. In my area, grocery stores are selling out of essentials like shelf-stable foods. We also don't have much bath tissue or hand sanitizer. I actually haven't seen hand sanitizer in weeks. So I'm sure that this is the case for many of you as well. And you are in my thoughts as you spend time at home or if you're still working, if you're a cashier, if you work in the food industry, if you work in an essential job like a police officer, firefighter, or part of the healthcare system, I really am thinking about you at this time, and thank you so much for your support. And this extends to people in Canada, the United States, but also worldwide who are listening to this podcast. It breaks my heart to see what is going on right now, and I really wanted to bring warmth and joy into your households. And the best way that I can think of bringing warmth and joy into another person's household is sending them recipes. And so what my initiative is during this pandemic is to provide you with a couple of recipes that are historically relevant to Francophone communities across North America, but also in general, and also extend the opportunity for you, my listeners, to send in recipes that you think would be great as people self-isolate and spend much more time at home. Now, naturally, we are running out of certain ingredients in the stores. Not all ingredients will always be available, but hopefully you will be able to recreate some of the recipes that I share with you. And if you'd like to send in your own recipes again, feel free to send them to North American Francophone at gmail.com. You can send them en français or in English. You can also visit our website, thefrancophone.com, and submit a contact form with your recipe there. Once I have your recipe, if you have any photos, you can send them along as well. I'll be posting it to thefrancophone.com as soon as possible, and I will also be posting it to Twitter and to Facebook so that everybody can access the recipe and try it out on their own. If others actually do cook the recipe, it would be great for you to share photos. I feel like this is a wonderful way for us to connect on a deeper level as we go through this time and keep our spirits up because it is a very trying time, particularly for those working in academia, working in the healthcare field, etc. So let's move on to the topic of the day, and that is Francophone historical food. You might remember that I started my podcast looking at the first Canadian cookbook, and specifically Francophone Canadian cookbook that was transformed from a cookbook that was brought across the Atlantic from France. And today I wanted to talk about a couple of staples that can warm your home and provide you with some comfort as you go through the next couple of weeks. And if you're listening to this when it is not the pandemic, if, if we've somehow moved on from this in the future, I hope that this also acts as a historical marker for what was on our minds at this time in March 2020, 
where we are. And hopefully, if you're listening from the future, <laughs> this, this has come to a positive end and we've moved on and things are much better. But remember, I am recording this at the height of the pandemic and at the height of all of the national fears. So the first dish I wanted to talk about was a dish that was created in Paris called tartatin. Now tartatin is a dish that many of you know and may recognize if you go to French restaurants across the country or in the world. It's one of the staples that I see on menus everywhere. And tartatin is something that was actually a happy accident. It was not intended to be tartatin. Now, if you've never had tartatin, it is an apple pie that is cooked upside down. And so you actually have to turn the pie out. It's usually cooked in a nice deep cast iron pan. You could also cook it in something like a regular frying pan at home. Nonstick is very easy if you are a beginner chef and you're a little bit worried about the caramel sticking to the pan. That is a great option for you. But I'll tell you a little bit about the history. I've researched and written down for you a little bit of the history of the tartatin. I'm opening up my journal here. I've taken some handwritten notes about this. So the tartatin was created in the 1880s by two sisters, Stéphanie and Caroline Tatin. And they were the owners of a place called Hôtel Tatin, which is close to Paris. And the story behind its creation, as I said, is conflicted. It's something that wasn't intentionally made. It was something that just happened. So Stéphanie, as the story goes, was trying to make a traditional apple pie and overcooked her apples. I mean, this happens to all of us. She overcooked her apples and she was very worried because the restaurant in the hotel was overcrowded. There were a lot of customers who were ready to eat and she didn't know what to do, so she just kept going with it. She added in some more spices, just a little bit more sugar. She stirred it around, and she started hitting the apples with her wooden spoon and covered all of the flattened apples with puff pastry that she was going to use for the tarte, for the pie. And then she stuck it in the oven. She added a couple of puncture holes so that it wouldn't overheat and so that the crust wouldn't rise up and become super puffy. And she pulled it out. It smelled nice. She turned it out onto a dish and she served it to her customers who loved this. This was an innovation because when we think about apple pie, traditionally apple pie has the crust on the top and on the bottom. But this was something new. It was very fashionable and it was also delicious. Recently, I posted a picture of my tartatin onto social media. I will also post one onto the North American Francophone cookbook that I'm compiling on our blog. So here is my recipe for tartatin. I have to mention that the recipe is adapted from the New York Times recipe for tartatin, but I've added a couple of modifications so that there is a lot of flavor and so that the apples do not put too much juice into the caramel when it's cooking. So I take a nine inch cast iron pan. I also have one sheet of puff pastry. I choose four to six apples, usually Honeycrisp apples. I love the taste of Honeycrisp. You could go with Macintosh or Envy apples, whatever kind of apples that you have around you. Some people also like to add in Granny Smith. It adds a little bit of a tartness to the tartatin. I then add two-thirds cup, more or less, of sugar. Of course, remember, recipes are not set in stone. 
I add six tablespoons of unsalted butter, and I can serve an extra tablespoon of unsalted butter to the side. It sounds like a lot of butter, but believe me, it's well worth it. It makes a delicious caramel. Indulge. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Indulge. I add spices that I think are essential to making a delicious tartatin or any other apple dish. I add allspice, cinnamon, ginger, cloves, and nutmeg. I find that this combination just adds a lot of zest and delicious flavor to your dish. You don't need to add it in if you don't have allspice or clove, but adding in a combination of spices that you yourself like really work well and complement the apples. Now, if you're worried about writing down all of the steps, don't worry, I will be publishing this in the next couple of days to thefrancophone.com. But you'll preheat the oven to 375. You cut and peel the apples into slices about a quarter inch thick. Sorry for anyone who uses metric. This is all going to be in the imperial system. So I can also have some translations of that for you on thefrancophone.com. Anyway, place into a water bath to keep these slices fresh as you are preparing other parts of the recipe. You'll heat a large saucepan with one tablespoon of butter and you add your apples to that. Now, you don't need to dry off your apples too much, but just enough so that you're not making the pan very wet. You then will simmer the apples for five minutes, and after you've simmered them for five minutes, be sure you're moving them around. Add your seasonings, add your spices to your desired level. If you want very seasoned apples, go for it. Just keep shaking. But be sure that you're covering the apples with allspice, cinnamon, ginger, clove, and nutmeg at least once. Okay, and then after that, cover the pan and heat, simmering it for 20 minutes. So keeping it on a low to simmer on your uh, range will do a good job for this. As you're doing that, you'll prepare your cast iron pan. A 9-inch cast iron pan works well. If you don't have a 9-inch, if you have a larger one, you can have a larger one. Just be sure you have a dish that can cover the top of the cast iron pan entirely. This is important because you're going to take the tartatin and flip it upside down. It's unsafe to flip it with a dish that doesn't fit on your cast iron pan. Now, if you don't have a cast iron pan at all, you should buy one, but because we're trying to self-isolate and keep ourselves away from others, you can also use a non-stick pan, a copper pan, any type of pan that you have at home, a frying pan of any type. Again, making sure that you have a dish to cover that pan. So with whatever pan you choose, be sure it's a frying pan, you're going to add six tablespoons of butter on medium-low heat. And be sure you're not just throwing the stick of butter into the pan. You want to cut it into smaller pieces and distribute it evenly through the pan. Medium-low heat, I want to stress that because if you have the heat on high, you're going to burn the butter. It's not going to taste good at all. Keep it as low as possible, medium-low, or even the lowest setting that you have on your range. Afterwards, add your sugar, and be sure you're adding your sugar so that it's evenly spread across the pan. You don't want to have the sugar all in a pile in the center of the pan. Just start sprinkling it across the pan evenly. After you've sprinkled it evenly, you can take something like a spatula or a wooden spoon and start stirring that butter and sugar in the pan on medium to low heat. Be sure more on the low side than medium. 
Continue to stir and you'll start to see that the caramel color comes through. It'll come through very quickly and it depends on your range if you're using gas or if you're using induction or even if you're using an electric stovetop like I have at home, the color will come through in a very short amount of time. Now, if you're cooking outside, if you're using an open flame, this will heat up very quickly, especially if you're using cast iron. So be careful, monitor this closely. I would say once it gets to the color of coffee with a little bit of milk in it, turn off the heat and take it away from the heat, but keep stirring it. You'll go back to your apples. If they've simmered, they are ready for the first step. The first step is to put the apples into the pan with your caramel and to stir them around a little bit if it's still liquid. If it's very solid caramel, just stick them into place. There are two different options for you. If you've never made a tartatin, you'll find that getting the caramel to the right consistency can take a little bit of time. And so the next thing that I tell you is important. If you have a more liquidy caramel, this will also help to impart some flavor into the caramel itself, an apple flavor, which is very nice. So the tarte is ready to form one way or another. If you have caramel that is very dense and thick, just put your apples into a pattern that pleases you. Some people like to start from the center and make a flower design. Some people just like to stack. Some people like to do whatever, a random pattern. It's up to you. So if the caramel didn't reduce enough and become sticky enough, you can remove the apples and retry making the caramel after you've cooked the apples in the caramel for just a little bit. So you put the pan back onto your range and put it to low heat and be sure that the caramel is bubbling, that the apples are in the caramel. But if it's not reducing, if it's still very liquidy, take the apples out, set them to the side and add a little bit more sugar to that caramel mixture and stir. And I mean stir. You'll be stirring around and around and around in the pan. And this will help solidify that caramel if you didn't make it sticky and solid enough at the first go. It also makes those apples taste really good and allows the caramel to have a little apple flavor. Then place the apples snugly back in next to one another and cover your cast iron pan or frying pan with puff pastry and be sure that it's covering all edges. So if there's an edge that looks like it's not covered fully, you can always cut the edges of that puff pastry because it will be a square to cover those sides. Then pierce the pastry sheet with a fork. You want to pierce it several times, and the reason is puff pastry will rise, and it will rise very, very quickly. You don't want to have a puffy puff pastry. You want to have a puff pastry that will become a crust at the end of cooking. Be sure also that you are putting those holes evenly spaced across the pan. You don't want to make all of your punctures in the center, for example. You need to go across the puff pastry and make sure you've hit most nooks and crannies of that pastry. You then will heat the oven, if you haven't already, to 375. If you had it preheating, good job. 375 oven, and that's Fahrenheit. Put it into that oven for around 45 minutes. And afterwards, be sure to check. It might need another five minutes if it's not fully golden brown. If it is fully golden brown, take it out and let it sit and cool for five minutes. Not more, not less. Five minutes is perfect. 
Now, for those of you who might not have an oven that has a consistent temperature, or maybe you're using a convection oven or have an oven that may be a little bit hotter, you can try cooking this at 350, but I really recommend 375 because it's going to give you a nice golden brown on the outside and it will have a crunch that I can't even describe in words. It, it tastes delicious this way. But 350 will also get the job done. If you're cooking at 350, be sure to extend the time to about 55 minutes rather than 45 minutes. After you've let it cool for five minutes, turn it out onto a plate. This is the hardest part of making a tartate, and this is why a lot of people are scared of making it. You have to put the plate on top of the pan, which is still a little bit warm, and then turn it upside down. I can guarantee if you've cooked the caramel correctly, if the apples all are nestled in there nicely, it should turn out fairly quickly. But again, if you're worried or scared, employ the help of other people in your household or just close your eyes. Well, don't close your eyes while you're doing this. Close your eyes, take a deep breath, and then turn the pan over and you should be fine. I've never had a real issue with this. Serve it warm. And if you're not serving it right away, pop it back into the oven at 350 degrees Fahrenheit for about 15 minutes. It is a delicious dessert and pairs well with ice cream. The second food story that I have for you and recommendation for a recipe comes from the Second World War. Now, rationing during the Second World War was not at all the same as what we're dealing with right now. However, it's good to think about how to economize on the ingredients that we use and also how to use vital ingredients in our day-to-day -day lives. The book that I was looking at was published in 1943 and is held by McGill University in Montreal. And its title is Economy Recipes for Canada's House Soldiers. Yes, house soldiers. And they actually made it one word, H-O-U-S-O-L-D-I-E-R-S. -E so soldiers at the home front. These usually were mothers or grandmothers who were cooking at home and making sure that their children and families were fed. The table of contents of this book points to many different categories, and I'll read them off for you. It included pastries, cakes, breads, syrups, infant feeding, salads and salad dressings, hot supper dishes, vegetables, beverages, canning and preserving, rendering and using fats, lunch boxes, sandwich fillings, and food substitutions. This seems all very timely right now as we see the shelves getting more and more empty. The cookbook had some recipes that were far less interesting than others, but one recipe really caught my eye, and that is Canadian pea soup. Growing up, I ate Canadian pea soup all the time, and the Canadian pea soup that I had was from a brand called Habitant. This is something that is ingrained in my memory. I can taste it even talking to you right now, and the home-cooked variety is even better. So the Canadian pea soup is something that my grandfather and father would include some day-old bread in the middle of the soup so that it would be a nice crouton, tasted delicious, and it's something that's very easy to make at home. The ingredients you'll need are one and a quarter cups of dried peas, two quarts of water, a quarter pound of salt pork or Canadian bacon, depending on what you want, one small onion, and salt and pepper. And I'll read directly from what this book says. It says to wash and soak your peas for four to six hours or overnight. 
and then to turn it into a large cooking kettle conserving your water. Now I imagine you could do this in a large stock pot or something like a Dutch oven. Either one will work very well. Now set that to the side and pull out a frying pan or some other type of pan that you feel comfortable sautéing in, maybe even your cast iron that you use for your tartatin, just be sure it's clean. You will then put in the Canadian bacon or salt pork with the onion and lightly brown it. Remember, once you put that into the soup, it's going to boil and cook some more, but you want to have that nice browned texture before you put it into the soup. And be sure that you're not just pouring from the frying pan right into the soup. You're going to have a lot of fat that way and it won't be very good. So be sure that you are cleaning it up, patting it down with paper towel. The recipe says to let this simmer for about three hours. If you do not brown your pork and onion beforehand, I think that that is a good recommendation. However, if you're following the recipe that I told you, I would imagine an hour or less is totally fine for a soup like this. To serve the soup, feel free again to pour this on top of day-old bread or just serve it on its own. It's quite delicious. The last recipe I'm going to share with you is an interesting one because it uses something that you normally consider to be a weed and transforms it into a delicious dish. The recipe is for salade au pissenlit, or dandelion salad. And this recipe comes from a collection published by the Cercle de Fermières of Saint-Edwige, the Circle of Farmers from Saint-Edwige. It is traditionally served with cheese and fresh bread and is a staple of springtime food. You want to get this when dandelion leaves are young and tender. So if you are in an area like I am in the south of the United States, this might be a dish you can make in the next week or two. For those of you living in a northern climate, maybe Michigan, Quebec, New Hampshire, somewhere like that, you want to make this maybe in the next month or so. Whenever you see a dandelion, you know that this is ready. In Quebec, they used to serve this on the first day of May, and the dandelion leaves are fresh, tender, and it's a spring meal that you would see in the southeastern region of the eastern townships of Quebec. Another similar salad sometimes includes potatoes, and it can also be found in the Champagne region of northern France. So there's that transatlantic connection between France and Quebec. Now here's the recipe. The first part might be a little bit difficult to achieve because you need about eight cups or two liters of fresh young dandelion leaves with the stems trimmed. If you don't have that many dandelions around you, feel free to use another type of salad. You might want to use arugula, mush, even baby kale. You could sort of impersonate the dandelion leaves, but it's not going to have the same taste as the dandelion leaves if you don't have them in there. One or two actually will add a lot of flavor to your salad, but again, if you can't get eight cups, don't worry. You can always improvise. But if, for example, you can get eight cups, this is a great recipe. You will also need one small onion, finely chopped, three to four tablespoons or 45 to 60 milliliters of white vinegar, salt and freshly ground pepper. And if you want to add this in, you can add some slices of salt pork, maybe about a quarter pound or 125 grams of salt pork and chopped 
But you could also add in other things based upon your own preference. Maybe you want to add in a little bit of feta cheese. Maybe you want to add in some walnuts. It's not what traditionally was going to be in this salad, but it would add a lot of flavor to it. I also think that drizzling just a little bit of lemon onto this salad adds a lot of complexity. To make this, you'll take the dandelion leaves, torn in bite-sized pieces, of course, and place them into a large salad bowl or maybe a salad spinner if you have one at home. In a heavy frying pan, you'll fry the salt pork if you chose to do that. You could also toast up some walnuts or almonds. Again, anything that you think would add some flavor to it. I personally would toast some pine nuts, but that's just me. It wouldn't be something that you would traditionally have in the dandelion salad. Then after you've fried the salt pork, you will then remove it from the pan with a slotted spoon and drain on paper towels. You'll add the onion and vinegar to the pan and bring that to a boil. That's going to give you a very interesting flavor for a dressing. It's going to have a little bit of the salt pork, a little bit of the vinegar, and also a little bit of the onion flavor that's going to reduce almost into a glaze. And that's why the salt pork is an integral part of this recipe. But again, if you don't eat salt pork, don't have any salt pork, it's okay. You can make other glazes. For example, you could take the onions, you could mix in a little bit of garlic. You could reduce it in a pan together. You could add in maybe balsamic vinegar if you wanted to. Another staple in my own household is to take a little bit of lemon and olive oil, mix it together with some spices, and then just drizzle on top. It's a very simple vinaigrette. You then will remove the onion and vinegar from the heat and let stand for about a minute to cool. If you want to make this ahead of time, you could also put it into the fridge so that it's nice and cool for your salad, but it's not necessary. You pour the dressing over the leaves of the dandelion or maybe also the leaves of the other types of lettuce you've chosen or mush or kale, etc., and season with salt and pepper to taste. Add crisp fried pork and toss, and you serve it all together at once. This is something that is just delightful. If you think, ooh, dandelion, that doesn't sound very good, you'd be surprised at the flavor that comes through with these dandelion leaves. Again, something very sustainable. You're getting rid of something that you don't want in your yard anyway, and it tastes delicious. So if you have any other suggestions for me of things that you would like to share with the general Francophone community or Francophile community in the United States, Canada, and beyond, send it along my way and let's cook together. Be sure, if you do cook something, to tag us in your photo and share it with us so that we can share it with the rest of our listeners. And as always, thank you for listening to the North American Francophone podcast. I hope that you are all well, safe, and optimistic for the future. Until next time, happy cooking and stay in touch.